0: This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Friday afternoon, Friday evening, whatever it is that you want to call it, we are here, Instagram living as usual at blunt underscore doctor underscore rx, just like Twitter, so you can watch me record this live. The IG live is completely unedited obviously, so it's like, you know, every now and then some things get cut from here. In case you ever wanted to see me smoke weed, you can do that on IG Live. Every now and then, especially on a Friday evening show like this, I might take a shot. Maybe, maybe, or maybe not. Who knows? As I um, as I prepared for this show last night and today, I was kind of worried at first. That I didn't like have a great slate of things to talk about, or you know, even. A lot that i wanted to talk about and then as the day progressed things just kept happening and happening and i got delayed a little bit obviously um this one's being recorded a little later in the day i've been recording more around noon this one's 5 p.m my time but this is again the essence of the blunt doctor show it will be daily but it might be different times of the day and also, I said I'm not going to record Saturday and Sunday. Well, if something happens Saturday and Sunday, you better believe there will be special episodes. So this is an at least five-day-a-week show with, let's say, a varying start time. Now, you might be saying you can't even say this is a five-day-a-week show because you didn't do it five days this week. You didn't do it Monday. And to that, I say, fuck you. Actually, to that, I say you're the person, not necessarily the man. You're the man, the woman, the whatever, the no- whatever you are. The they, the num, you know, I personally am gender fluid, so whatever you are. But the point is, if you know I didn't record Monday, that means you've been like paying attention to this. So I love you. So, anyway, as I always do at the beginning of the show, I digress. Let's get into the sports things that I want to talk about. And I want to start by saying one really resounding, clear thing to set the tone for this episode. Fuck Brian Kelly. Fuck Brian Kelly, fuck him in his old white man ass, fuck Notre Dame, fuck every Notre Dame fan, fuck the Notre Dame fan base, fuck people who give money to Notre Dame, fuck everything related to Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, and all of that bullshit. Fuck the Catholic Church if you want me to go there. I don't care about any of this. These guys are assholes, and they are out here now trying to say that Notre Dame is not going to participate in the college football playoff if it isn't moved from California Because what is the point of playing a college football game if these kids' parents can't see them play? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the reason to play is to try to win a fucking national championship. How about fulfill the duties of your goddamn contract and coach the football team? How about not exposing more people to COVID? The fact that Brian Kelly thinks that it's more important that parents get to see this game in person than it is to keep stadium employees away from COVID just goes to show Notre Dame, this is just rich white man bullshit. This is just bullshit. And the reason I say fuck the Catholic church, because they completely back everything Notre Dame does. And if they believed in what their Lord and Savior preaches, turn the other cheek, help the poor, they would not be out here trying to get people sick. So fuck anyone who supports what Notre Dame is doing right now. I, I don't care who that alienates or offends or pisses off. I don't care at all. COVID-19 is real. This, th- it is, it is bullshit to me that you still have these people out here trying to claim that a pandemic that is affecting the entire world, not only is it not happening, but is somehow less important than your fucking football game. I. I, I admit I was, I wanted this football season to happen because I wanted to see Tom Brady play with the Buccaneers. So I acknowledge that I am at fault in terms of being someone who was excited for football when I probably shouldn't have been. But what we have seen is that football doesn't work like basketball. You can't create a bubble and have everything go just fine. There's no way to play tons and tons of football games on a couple of fields. Football fields get torn up. There's no way to create this bubble unless you have a giant complex. And the NFL is simply unwilling to do that. And college football has been unwilling to do that. And now we've got it to a point where college football coaches are lambasting the politics of the state of California, which are simply trying to stop the spread of a horrendous disease. And this is not just about... He specifically mentioned wanting to move the games... The issue was California. I just, I I hate Brian Kelly. I really do hate Brian Kelly. And, you know, shout out to here in Arizona, Dan Bickley, who is a local radio guy, who was just taking Brian Kelly to task for this, calling it, you know, basically bullshit, and calling out Brian Kelly for what he was, pointing out that this is about California, and this is not about anything else. You're angry about the game being in California. You're angry about the fans, blah, blah, etc. And you don't care about preventing the spread of COVID-19. You care about whatever your personal bullshit is. And it's just disappointing that even in this day and age, we have this much stupidity from a person who is in charge of a fucking major football program. Now, we can debate whether or not Notre Dame is actually a major football program because they usually suck, and I'm fine with that, but in what world is it okay for a college football head coach of a major program to be spreading this kind of insanity? It's the same thing with Dabo Swinney. Like, how is this shit okay? Because they make money or whatever? Because they win football games? How do those things excuse leading people to their deaths? I don't think that people seem to understand that when you make the choice to simply ignore COVID-19 to the point that you have thousands of people in the same place, you are leading those people to their deaths. And not all of them will die, fine. But how is some of them dying acceptable to you? And I am sitting here in my studio on what is supposedly a sports podcast having to rant about this and having to rant about socialism on other days because there's literally no fucking sense in any of these institutions. Why does anyone listen to the NCAA? Are people not aware that the NCAA is not a governing body? They're not like part of the United States government. They're not a nationally recognized thing. They're just a group of people who created something that colleges decided to follow for whatever the hell reason. The NCAA has no authority. They simply don't. And all of this stuff, it's all just smoke and mirrors, dog and pony show bullshit. And all it always comes back to is that no matter what, the only thing that these people care about is making money from poor children. Exploiting those children to make as much money as possible. That is truly the only thing that Brian Kelly and the majority of college football head coaches and probably, unfortunately, NFL head coaches care about. It's different in the NFL because guys are getting paid. If you choose to go out and take a risk and make that money, you know, I can't really say much to that. Everyone had the option to opt out of the NFL season. So it's up to them. I don't love playing football in a pandemic, but also, you know, again, you know, you're paying them. So at least there's that. Again, I don't love it, but it's sort of, there. at least there's that. These college guys aren't getting paid. Whatever stipend and scholarship, whatever they're getting, none of that is worth getting COVID, especially when we don't even know the long-term effects of COVID, and that's really what no one talks about. Some people have fucking organ failure. Some people have to learn to walk again. Is it most people? No. But we have no clue what the long-term effects are for even people who are asymptomatic. We don't know where you'll be in five years. And yet, these kids are supposed to just play football and make money for their rich white masters. And it's just embarrassing. And it's depressing. And to see a guy like Brian Kelly, who is, well, a piece of shit, but a piece of shit with power, to see him just, I don't know, i just it hurts my feelings. Because it's not just about you or your players or their families. People have to run those stadiums. And if they work at those stadiums, they probably need that money. Are they getting extra money to work for you? When you bring your pandemic along, when you bring your super spreader event? No. And it's just difficult. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm sorry. I, I feel I know it's it's coming across because I don't mean to be leaving this much dead air here and there in these seconds. And I could just edit it out. But I don't know. I don't want to because I want my frustration to be clear. I have been so upset with college football and college basketball for so long because it's just exploitation. And these guys need to be paid. Whether they're paid by the school or paid by... Fine, don't let the schools pay them. But let, let them get paid for their likeness. Let You know, it just... It is something that has really continued to bother me. And it is a thing that we need to fix. And that's really it. In any case, now that I've successfully calmed myself down off of the Notre Dame ranting, interesting game last night. Derek Carr gets hurt. Raiders can't get the win. They're in a tough spot now. Most likely eliminated. The the weird thing for the Raiders, you know, this season was going pretty well for them. They were in a pretty good spot. And it just fell apart. And it just... I don't know... I don't know what exactly you do at this point if you're the Raiders with Derek Carr because... It's not like he's in his second or third year. He's already gotten a big contract. And now you're at a point where you can kind of get out of that contract or you can potentially move on to a larger future with him where we give him some sort of extension. There's a lot of different possibilities for that. But now that the Raiders have simply fallen apart and have just become a team that doesn't really, I mean, they can't close out a season. They have not been able to finish the job. And they're not able to finish the job in a lot of these games. They're not able to finish the job on the season. Derek Carr has been hurt in a lot of seasons for them to the point that seasons have ended because he wasn't able to play. John Gruden has always been a guy that wanted to find his guy and then coach him up. It didn't seem like he loved Derek Carr at first. That situation has improved between them and he has stayed. I just don't know what the future holds for the Raiders at that position. Now, I mean, you could tell me that there's some sort of stopgap planned with like Mariotta, then maybe they're going to draft someone in the second or third round and they want to move on from Derek Carr. I would believe that. You could tell me that John Gruden has seen enough from Derek Carr when he was healthy that he wanted to give him at least one more season, and I would believe that. I really don't know. But I think that what's really interesting is that Derek Carr at one point was the future of the franchise and there was no one who would question that. And then he had basically completely fallen out to the point that he was not in the future of the franchise and people were just counting down the days until they could cut him loose based on his contract. And now in this season, it was back to, well, actually there's a future here. I don't know. I, I really, truly don't know. Um, but I, as much as the Raiders have choked their seasons away, it kind of seems like Derek Carr might have choked his future with the Raiders away. Because it just keeps not quite happening. And it's just interesting. I know that last night doesn't really have a lot to do with him. But as they say, the greatest ability is availability. And if you're not there in one of the more important games of the season, it's just hard to gauge. Um, And, you know, he's really not been a factor in the playoffs ever. Because of, you know, the time that they had a really good team and were capable of doing so, he broke his finger. And it's just, it's tough. And I I just think that's something really, I think that this offseason, we might see more quarterback movement than we see in several years combined. I mean, the Patriots could be looking for a new quarterback. The Jets might draft Trevor Lawrence. Who knows what the Giants are going to do with Daniel Jones. The 49ers could move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. There's a lot that could happen. And this is another team where the Raiders truly could be in, you know, the market. They could be out there and say, hey, you know, we don't want to do this. And in that case, you know, what happens to Derek Carr? Because, you know, there's really never enough starting quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, there's probably like 20 guys who are truly, truly starters in the NFL at any given time. And like a team like Jacksonville, who just has no answer. Who would seem like it would be Gardner Minshew, maybe, and he is not the answer. You know, they're good. They might look at a guy like Derek Carr and say, hey, maybe we can turn this thing around. Not that Jacksonville has been a haven for good quarterbacks, but the point is he'll get a job. But I just don't think it's gonna be with Las Vegas. I think that I think that, that ship has sailed because it's just been too many it's been too many times where they're close and can't get it done, or he's hurt and they can't get it done, or there's any number of reasons, but it just hasn't quite gone I mean, there was a time when I thought that there were going to be like multiple Raiders, Patriots, AFC championship games. You know, I thought that was the foreseeable future as long as Tom Brady was around in New England because the Raiders were that good. And then what happens? You trade Khalil Mack. You know, you hire John Gruden, who doesn't necessarily love Derek Carr. Derek Carr falls apart anyway. Who's, you know, who's to blame for that? It's just, it's very interesting. And it, and I, I do think we're going to see a lot of quarterback movement next year. And I think the Raiders will be a team to watch. Um... I don't think they're the kind of team that's probably going to trade up. Um, you know, John Gruden is more of a I can build a quarterback than a, I need to get the top quarterback kind of guy. Um, and I think that everyone knew that when they got Mariota that there was going to come at least some point when he looked at him. But in this case, it came from injury. So, um, But I, again, I wouldn't be shocked if next year Carr is gone and the Raiders are trying to operate with Mariota. Because um, Mariota isn't that far off of like Jeff Garcia. And, you know, John Gruden loved Jeff Garcia, um, you know, guy, even though he was later in his career when he came to Tampa Bay, like, you know, John Gruden still loved that guy. And so I just wonder sometimes, um, I mean, because if you look at the guys that Gruden has worked with, like Rich Gannon was, you know, an MVP in, in, you know, playing with John Gruden and, you know, Rich Gannon was good, but he was never that good. You know, and he went to another level playing with, with John Gruden. Brad Johnson wins a Super Bowl playing with John Gruden. Where was he a phenomenal quarterback in Minnesota? No, he was okay. He got the job done, but he was able to win a Super Bowl. Now that had a lot to do with Tampa Bay's defense. Sure. But the only team that's ever really won a quarterback without or won a Super Bowl without a quarterback would be like, you know, the Peyton Manning Broncos or maybe the Trent Dilfer Ravens. But anyway, John Gruden can work with anyone, or at least fancies himself able to work with anyone. And so I don't really see them moving up, but I could see them trying to work with some young kid who's in second or third rounder, you know, whatever guy falls. Or, again, he might just roll with Mariota. But if you ask me right now, I think the Raiders are going to move on from Derek Carr. The question now... Is Do I want to talk about my NFL spread picks, or should I go back to college football for a moment? I'm going to go back to college football for a moment. I should have talked about this on the first episode, probably. Um, but I haven't even wanted to like acknowledge the reality of it. I'm going to do it now. Arizona football got absolutely destroyed by ASU, 70-7. And it wasn't shocking that they were destroyed. I think everyone pretty much expected ASU to beat up on U of A, but I mean... You know, giving up 70, it was embarrassing. And Kevin Sumlin was fired, as he should have been. Um, you know, Kevin Sumlin, now the guy who had the 44-10 to lead against UCLA, and Josh Rosen famously led five straight touchdown drives for UCLA to beat A&M 45-44. Um, and now, you know, this, I don't know where Kevin Sumlin will go after this, but um, much luck to you. But uh, I liked the hire when it occurred. I thought, oh, maybe he'll learn from his lesson. And he has big... You know, he's got a name and big experience. And this is just what it all boils down to. U of A always tries to make these hires. You you know, you hired Rich Rodriguez because of the name. You know, I am a person who... I love both University of Michigan and University of Arizona Athletics. Just through a factor of family members and where I grew up, things like that. And watching Rich Rodriguez go from Michigan to Arizona, and it's like, well, he just failed there. (laughs) And... You know, it's just kind of whatever. And, you know, it's just always been about, you know, back to when they hired like John McAvoy. It's like, it's always been about a name and never about whether the person can actually coach. They hired Mike Stoops because he was Bob Stoops' brother. Like, when I was a kid, there was one really good U of A football team. And. The season got blown against UCLA when they scored like three touchdowns in the third quarter. And But U of A still that season when I think 12 and one, um, they beat Nebraska in the holiday bowl. Then the next season they went ranked like fourth into the next year and were a complete disaster. But you know, they had a really good season one year that year was full of tons of incredible games. OJ Jenkins flipping on the goal line against Washington on fourth down to score and win. Like there were a lot of really great games and you know, Despite losing to UCLA, beating ASU, and winning a bowl game against Nebraska, who was a really good team, you know, this is 90s Nebraska, so this is a really good school, winning that game was incredible. And truly, since then, no matter what they have done, no matter who they have hired or recruited, no matter what the hype was, from Willie Tuitama to Khalil Tate, you know, it just doesn't matter. The There's no base for Arizona football. Arizona football is where you go when you don't get into the places that you want to go. And, you know, for the longest time it was okay because Arizona basketball was so great. And now it's like still an open question about, you know, what has Sean Miller ever done without maybe paying people or maybe people in his orbit paying people and You know, there's a whole lot of this, that, and the other, but Arizona has not been good the last few years and certainly not what we expect. And I just don't know what to say anymore. In regards to the football program, I'm just not sure there's ever going to be anything because what can you ever do? You simply don't have enough money. You're never going to be able to hire... Like, and God forbid me, I hate this man, but you could never hire Urban Meyer, for example. And I know that he's probably done coaching, but, you know, you couldn't go out there and convince Urban Meyer with piles of money to come to Arizona. You couldn't find a way to convince Nick Saban to come to Arizona. These people are so far out of the stratosphere of Arizona sports that where do you even go? Because every time they try to hire some name who's related to, it never works. And maybe the answer is find a young up and coming coordinator, a Lincoln Riley ish guy. But again, where are you going to get the money? And with Arizona not even providing like something in terms of a good basketball team, it's just depressing. It's a depressing time for Arizona sports. And I'm sure ASU fans will laugh at all this, and good for them, they're doing things well. But you can see the difference in how, you know, there's a run. The athletic director has a lot to do with this, and there seems to just be no accountability, no control, nothing going on in University of Arizona Athletics that, like, really matters at this point, point. and it's sad because, you know, even for all the years where things didn't work out how you wanted, when they had these, you're still, you know, you're like seven and five, some years you're eight and four. And these are not great football teams, but it's at least a fun thing to watch a U of A game on a Saturday night. Right? Crack a couple of beers, watch the game. It's still fun. Not anymore. And it's getting that way with basketball. It's getting to the point where U of A basketball is becoming less fun to watch. And who knows what would have happened last year. No tournament. I understand all of that. But U of A was once always ranked. U of A always in the discussion for top teams. Now we're mentioned as a dark horse at best. And it's just sad the state of what the school has become, because I truly don't know what fixes it. Like I truly don't know what takes Arizona athletics to the next level. I honestly have no clue. I mean, the answer is spending money that they don't have and that they won't have. You know, Oregon has Phil Knight from Nike, who just loves the school so much that he just gives them tons of money and they have every you know every facility in the world and U of A doesn't have anything like that. You know, Steve Kerr isn't showing up giving $100 million for facilities and coaching contracts. You know, Arizona simply doesn't have the boosters that some of these other schools do. And it just shows. And this is where the money in athletics sucks. And this is why people think You shouldn't pay players because it'll only exacerbate this problem. But what those people are missing is that the schools don't have to pay the players. These guys should be able to earn money from their likeness. For video games, for appearances. It's not necessarily the school. And if the school doesn't have a star, and a kid can become the star, and get paid a bunch of money even by just being the star at the University of Arizona without necessarily winning as many games, that will help you. Gordon Hayward didn't necessarily go to Charlotte just for the money. Sure, he could have gotten money from other teams, but he also gets to be a focal point of the team. You can get money in a lot of places. Now, maybe they offered him the most money. Sure. But he was pissed about being fourth in line in Boston. Not going to be that way in Charlotte. Broke his hand. Again. But anyway. The state of U of A Athletics is sad. And I am sad for them. And I truly don't know what will fix it. Back to the NFL for a moment before we end this whole thing with a bunch of NBA talk. Just gonna make my spread picks for this week. So I went ahead and went through. Obviously, I didn't make a pick yesterday for the Raiders and Chargers game. I just said I would lean toward the Raiders. Desperate team trying to make the playoffs over a young team. Obviously, that didn't work out. Derek Carr being hurt. Changes some of the equation a little bit, but the Raiders were not doing so well anyway. So I was wrong there. Take that for what you will. I didn't really make a pick though, but we're going to go ahead and just go through here. Over-under has been bizarre this season, so I've just i been staying away from it. There were two over-unders I really like. We'll get to those at the end, but just real quick, I'm going to run through here. Number one, let's just start them off. Bills, minus five and a half at the Broncos. I don't care what happened last week. I don't believe in the Broncos, and I think the Bills are a better team. Panthers plus nine at the Packers. Um I don't think the Panthers really have any chance to win this game, but nine is just a large spread. And the Panthers are more competent on both offense and defense than you realize. And so this feels like one of those games where like the Panthers are down 14 um, and then kind of get like a late touchdown garbage time just to cover that spread. That's kind of what I think there. So Panthers plus nine. Texans at Colts plus seven. Um I like the Texans. I know that the Colts are a much better team, but a lot of times you have these divisional games. They're really weird. You know, teams know each other really well. And again, seven points is just a large spread to cover in a divisional game. Texans plus seven. Lions plus 11 at Titans. The Titans simply don't have enough defense to cover an 11-point spread. Even with all of the faltering and, you know, they just, it's hard to cover an 11-point spread in the NFL, and the Titans' defense is just not, not a defense that's going to do that. So, Lions plus 11. Tampa Bay at Atlanta, Bucks minus six. Um, the Bucks, you know, bounce back with a really nice win against the Vikings last week in Atlanta. You know, who knows what you're ever going to get from them from week to week, but they're really not good. We know that. Um, so give me Tampa Bay minus six. Dolphins and Patriots. Love the Patriots so much, but the season ends. Dolphins minus one and a half. Seahawks minus six and a half at Washington. I actually thought the Jets might cover last week against the Seahawks because it's just Seahawks are so weird and it's been... You know, one of those seasons where, whatever, I know the Jets are garbage, but like they almost beat the Raiders. Well, then there you go. They completely blow them out. So I'm not making that mistake again. I'll take Seahawks minus six and a half against Washington. I know that the Vikings game, if you look at like the final score, didn't look so good. But honestly, I think, I still think they're a better team than the Bears. So Vikings minus three. Ravens minus 13 against Jacksonville. It's a large spread. I know. But, I mean, Jacksonville's terrible. 49ers minus three against Dallas. I mean, if you're asking me who's going to coach the better of two injured squads, I'm going to take Kyle Shanahan, unless it was a championship game, of course. Jets plus 17.5 at the Rams. I guess I will make that mistake again. But, again, 17.5? There's so many points. It's just so many points. And if the Rams just run the ball, maybe they'll just run all over them and beat them by 30. I don't know. but It's just so many. So, Jets plus 17.5. Eagles plus seven at the Cardinals. Obviously, the Cardinals are a better team, but I hate Carson Wentz, and I just think Jalen Hurts is better. I've said before that I think Jalen Hurts was a great draft pick because I think he has good potential in this system. I thought that it would go well. So far for him, it really has. I think the Cardinals will win, but I think this is like closer to a three-point game than a seven-point game. And by the way, it shouldn't be, but Cliff Kingsbury just doesn't, you know, I'm not going to take a win over the Giants. I know that the Eagles are just as bad as the Giants, but... Expecting the Cardinals to perform really well week to week is not a good idea. Chiefs minus three against the Saints. I'm not picking against the Chiefs. Let's just move on. Browns at Giants. Well, I mean, the the Cardinals just clown the Giants, so why wouldn't the Browns? Browns are doing a great job lately. Minus six and a half. Give me that. Steelers minus 13 against Cincinnati is the final one. Um Again, I'll take Steelers minus 13. I know it's a lot, but Cincinnati is terrible. I know it's a divisional game, but it just, I'm not betting on that team. with With no one on the roster and now no quarterback, I'm not taking that. And then the two over-under I like. I like under 51.5 in the Panthers-Packers game. Like I said, I think that game will be fairly close. And I think that the Panthers will stop a couple of, you know, the Packers will be close and, you know, they'll convert a couple of touchdowns to field goals. I, I can see the under there. And then I like over 51.5 in the Lions-Titans game. Again, the Titans just have no one on defense. And they're still going to score against the Lions. So give me that one for sure. Turning to the NBA. Now that I... Took a shot of tequila on air because I'm a badass, but it was edited out. Don't worry, you don't even know about it. Turning to the NBA. A couple games actually going on right now, or one going on right now, one about to tip, I believe. But in any case, um, preseason winding down. Seen a lot of interesting things. We talked about some of them this week. Um, You know, there's been a few things that really surprised me. Um, you know, a few players that stood out to me, a couple of guys that I was really more high on than I would have anticipated. I think that maybe because this draft class was already sort of rated pretty low coming in, I think that all the extra time to go over these guys' weaknesses maybe made us think that they were worse than they are. Because I got to be honest, like, watching this draft class, it was supposed to be that given that there was no real preseason, no summer league, that a lot of them were going to struggle, especially some of the later guys. And I mean, obviously you have some of your guys who are struggling, but some of the ones who are succeeding, it's been kind of exciting. So, I mean, honestly, I'm really excited for this season. Obviously plan to do a daily show. You know, I'm going to talk about NBA all the time. So we're going to get to watch, you know, we're just going to go over games. We're going to talk about them. And that really is the plan for this season. Um... You know, I'm going to just watch as many games as I can each night. We're going to talk about them the next day. We'll talk about football. We'll talk about bets. All of those kinds of things. We'll check back in with my season over under picks. All that good stuff. Um But it's going to be an exciting season because I think we're going to have some really good impact players um from, you know, that rookie level. And maybe a few guys on new teams who we didn't necessarily anticipate. It's going to be interesting. This is the most excited I've been as a Suns fan since... I truly don't know. I mean, maybe since we acquired Eric Bledsoe, I know that that didn't necessarily work out, but he was a prospect I was really hyped on and I was psyched about that trade. Um, So, you know, that was a really exciting time. Um, Actually, probably winning the number overall pick and taking Aiden. And again, that didn't work out necessarily. Should have taken Luka. Whatever. I still think Aiden can be great. And by the way, if you look at Aiden's career head-to-head versus Luka, that's definitely interesting. One new player on a new team that I just want to shake my head at right now is, is Kyrie Irving. And I'm sure some of you saw this on Twitter. I'm sure if you're listening to my show, you 100% saw this on Twitter. Kyrie Irving is walking around TD Garden, just walking around the court and he's burning sage. Now, sage is burned in order to, you know, cleanse the aura or, Ward off bad spirits or ward off negativity, that sort of thing. So, to recap, Kyrie Irving is walking around the arena of his former team, burning sage, essentially implying that he wants to ward off the negativity in that arena. What the fuck, man? Like, are you fucking serious? I want to be clear. I have loved Kyrie Irving. Go ask my, go ask Mrs. BDRX about this. She knows, she knows how much I love Kyrie. Okay. And by the way, she was the one who said, pick the Lakers in the finals. It's LeBron. Don't be stupid. And I didn't do that. So cheers to her. But it is, it's just truly incredible how unlikable this guy has become because he used to be so likable. Like look back at the guy who hit. One of the biggest clutch shots in NBA history in Steph Curry's face. One of the biggest triples we've ever seen in the fucking finals. It was amazing. We all loved and respected this guy. We all thought Uncle Drew was funny as hell. And ever since then, he's just become weird and like, it's fine to be weird, but he's just weird in a dick way. And the thing is, like, I'm aware, like, he didn't like living in Boston. And I do think that there are racial issues in Boston and I think that all of that kind of neg- I understand that stuff. And as far as as far as him not liking Boston for those reasons, I think that makes perfect sense and I understand why he might feel that way. And I understand why he might not have loved the city as much as some people thought he might. I mean, I take Celtics t- fans to task like as much as anyone else. As a Patriots fan, I have to deal with Celtics fans all the time and they're obnoxious. I understand that. So I can see that there may have been scenarios where it wasn't great for him. I understand that. But also, dude, like you brought this on yourself. When you first got traded to Boston, he like said he wanted to have his jersey hang in the rafters and does a commercial about it. All this thing about how he wants to be one of the greats. Then he realizes he wants to go home to New York. Fine. Whatever, man. Like but you're warding off the bad. So just like to all the players who I played with on the Celtics, fuck you, man. This arena is full of your negativity. Fuck you! It was all your fault. I'm burning this bright. Like fuck you, man. At what point does Kyrie Irving take responsibility for anything? Yeah, he won a finals with LeBron James playing beside him. Then he went to another team where he was the featured star and absolutely sucked. Let's not forget that series against Boston. Excuse me, against Milwaukee a couple years ago when Milwaukee really first emerged before the Raptors took them out. Kyrie was the feature of the Celtics offense to the point that like Jason Tatum had taken a step back and some people were questioning him because of how much Kyrie had taken over the offense. And he just clanked shot after shot, clank, 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 seven of 21, eight of 23. And you know, he's blames the kids, but it's just at a certain point, dude, like, come on, man, grow up. I have no problem with Kyrie Irving leaving with leaving Boston to team with Kevin Durant. I got no problem with that. They're super good friends. They want to play together. Fantastic. Do that. But at a certain point, Kyrie Irving creates the image of himself. I gained a lot of respect for Kyrie during the bubble when he was talking about his stance on social justice issues and how, you know, guys may not want to play. That stuff made me respect Kyrie. And then he goes out and just like does all this weirdo shit. The flat earth thing is annoying as hell. You have a platform, you shouldn't be pushing that kind of stuff. It's like Michael Porter Jr. pushing the anti vaxxer shit. I just, I don't like, I don't like Kyrie Irving walking around an arena using some random religions like, like ceremony to war. I just, the whole thing reads phony bullshit to me. Just, I just don't like it. And I think that Kyrie Irving and Paul George lead the NBA's, oh, it's not my fault team. Like these guys have no responsibility for anything. And I just kind of feel like when you make a hundred million dollars, like all these guys do, I can point out that maybe you suck at leadership and maybe you suck at being a team player and maybe you suck at communicating with people sometimes. Kyrie doesn't even want to communicate. He just wants to issue a press release or whatever. He can't even go the Marshawn Lynch route and just, that's a, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. He just, Kyrie doesn't want to do anything that anyone wants him to do. And that's fine. But if we're going to sit here and talk about. Being defined by rings and all, you know, winning and whatever. Like everything he's done since Cleveland has been going about all of that the wrong way. And I think Kyrie is probably a super cool individual to hang out with. And I think that he's probably genuinely a good dude. I don't think anyone really has anything negative to say about him as a person. I think Kyrie is a good, a good guy, but I also think that he carries himself. As if he was the primary reason that Cleveland won a title. Not the case. He was great in those finals. He was great in those finals. Him and LeBron were incredible. But like they don't even get there without LeBron. We know this. And he just thinks he's on that level. And he's simply not. And to do something where you take another religious, you know, a a religious ceremony from a religion that you're not a part of and just do something that like makes it seem like you have no responsibility and it's all the fault of your... T- I just, I don't like it. I think it's weird. And as much as I like weird, I just think Kyrie would do a lot better with taking responsibility and owning up to shit instead of blaming... His, uh, we know the moves we need to make. Like, I don't know. It just... Kyrie went from someone who I truly admired to someone who rubs me the wrong way. And I understand that Kyrie Irving could not give a shit less about what I think. I understand that he doesn't fucking care at all. But when I'm sitting here as a gambler and I'm like thinking about what I feel about this season, when I see a dude who literally can't take responsibility for anything and I see a dude who literally will just shit all over everyone around him, I have a hard time believing that dude's going to help build the chemistry of this team and take them to the next level. And, you know, if he doesn't care about that and he just wants to play basketball with Kevin Durant, that's fine. But I see a lot of people talking about the Nets this and the Nets that, and I just don't have the same feelings. And I just wish Kyrie Irving would own up sometimes to when he sucks at something and when he maybe maybe handled something poorly. You know, he's a goofball. I get that. But something about burning Sage, like, I don't know, that just really... If Kyrie, maybe he burdens Sage all the time and I'm simply not aware of it. Even then, man, this just feels weird to me. And it just feels like a, it feels to me like you're telling your former teammates to go fuck themselves. And as much as they didn't like him and, you know, they probably were maybe happy that he left and they like Kemba Walker more and he does fit in the system more. It's still just, it just, I don't know. Kyrie just smacks of arrogance to me. Arrogance he hasn't earned. I felt that way about Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler just carried Miami to a finals appearance. So maybe Kyrie carries the Nets to a finals appearance this year. And he just shuts me the fuck up. And I'm completely wrong. And anyone who knows me, by the way, anyone who knows me, knows that if I'm wrong, I will completely acknowledge it, own up to it. I'm happy to be wrong. I do think that Kyrie could be a better leader and a better team player. That's it. Preseason. Let's talk preseason. Because it's been a fun preseason. Like I said, it's winding down. Um, gonna catch what I can tonight. There's another Suns Lakers game. Not sure how much anyone's gonna really play in that one. Um, but a few other things that I saw watching last night. Um, watched the Hornets game so that I could see LaMelo ball. And the one thing I will say that I came out with a positive opinion on is I actually think he's gonna be better on defense than I thought. He's His footwork isn't great. He was out of position. Guys got beat by him. Or guys beat him and got by him. He's kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off a few times. He was out of position. It wasn't perfect, but there was a lot of effort on defense. And a lot of defense is just effort. And knowing where to rotate and knowing how and when to play this scheme. you know, those things will come. But I was really like... Worried that he just wasn't going to play NBA defense. And I don't think that's the case. The passing is cool. We all know. I mean, you know, he throws slick passes. He's nice in the pick and roll when he's passing. Um, he actually had decent passing lane anticipation on a couple of plays on defense. So that's another thing. His team defense may be a little better than, or he may average more steals than we anticipated. And so that kind of bodes well for him. But, I just, the shot is, <laughs> I don't know why LeVar Ball doesn't teach his kids to shoot. <laughs> like, you teach them to do everything else, man. Like, they're icons. They have clothing lines and built their own shoes. And, you know, they are they got all the, <laughs> teach them to shoot. <laughs> Those mechanics are awful. And I love Mike Schmitz. Mike Schmitz is a guy who worked for Draft Express for ESPN. He's, you know, essentially a scout, but works for ESPN. And he and Jonathan Giovanni, they Givone, they know everything, okay? I respect those guys so much. They know more than I'll ever know. I would love to talk to them one day. It would be, honestly, such an honor. But Mike Schmitz continues to insist that the biggest issue with the ball is shot selection. And not his shot itself. And I just. The mechanics are atrocious. The mechanics are just atrocious. I'm sorry. I just. I don't. I don't. They're awful. His shot release is too low. He doesn't. It's too. It's fast. But it's. It's just. It's not as. I don't know if it's as bad as Lonzo's. But. It's ugly. And I just don't ever see. How that dude is going to be a really good shooter. And maybe he doesn't necessarily have to be, but like someone has got to fix that. And now, because you don't want him spending more and more years shooting this God awful shot. The funny thing is like, I remember when I was a kid, it was a kid named Carl. I don't remember Carl's last name, but Carl was the best shooter of all of us. And Carl would raise the ball to his chest. And then with two hands, pump outward from his chest in this bizarre two-handed motion. But Carl could bag triples in fourth grade like it was nothing. Carl could not play in the NBA. And LaMelo Ball is like if a kid had Carl's shot and nobody adjusted it on his way to the NBA. I just don't understand. I truly don't get it. And it's got to be fixed. I'm sorry, but Am I a shot expert? No. But, come on. We all know it. We can see... You can see the guys who have a good stroke. And who... Alright. This guy, even though he only shot X%, percent, you can see it's going to come along when he gets the footwork down and the consistency. I don't see how this guy ever becomes a plus shooter. That shot is awful. It is just awful. And the thing is, is that... If he was going to be like a sixth man... Like who runs pick and rolls and does all these things, or if he was going to be Andre Miller 15 years ago, like it's fine. But this is the modern NBA; you have to be able to shoot the ball, and I just don't see it. So I don't know, man. I'm um, I've been off the Lamelo train. I, I'm on it a little more in terms of like I think he can play. I think his defense is going to be better than we thought. His passing is awesome, but that shot in my notes. I have the following phrase. But that shot. My God, that shot. It's so ugly. I'm just going to leave it at that. Here's a question. How the fucking hell did Denny Avdia fall to ninth? How is that a thing? Do people watch basketball? And I'm including myself. How did I not know about this guy? This dude can play, man. There was one sequence where he leaps up, steals a pass, then flies down to the other end, runs by, can't remember who it was, but then connects on a difficult contested contact layup. Didn't draw a foul, but he flashes like three or four skills in one fluid possession. He's shot, he's got a nice high release. The thing about a high release is that Even if you don't have the quickest release, the high release means your shot will get out quicker. And his release is still pretty quick. But his release is up there, man. And it is going to be difficult to put smaller wings on this dude because he's just going to shoot over them. He also seems to have really good court vision. Made a couple of nice extra passes. Dude, I'm was, i kind of starting to think the Wizards might be something. Like, we've all been way too hard on Russell Westbrook in terms of like, is he an All-NBA? Is he an All-Pro? Is he an MVP candidate? We've all been down on him. But then like we've gotten to the point that it's like, uh, excuse me, but he's still really fucking good. He shouldn't have been an All-Star last year over Devin Booker, fine. But like, Russell Westbrook materially improves your team. Now, given how well John Wall is playing, I'm not necessarily sure that he's a huge upgrade over John Wall, but it's hard to also say that Wall is going to be healthy. It's hard to say that Westbrook would be healthy. But when you start to look at how hard Westbrook works, how hard Beal works. This Denny Avdia kid is something. Bertans can shoot the lights out. Thomas Bryant. And everyone says, oh, the, the you know, the Wizards are going to score 150 and give up 160. Yeah, maybe, but this team is maybe going to be better than we think. This team, I look at them for a moment and I'm like, well, hold on a second. I'm almost, I don't know. It's interesting. And I may be, I may be being Affected too much by what Kevin Arnovitz said about the wizards on the low Post podcast because he had a similar opinion, but I was thinking it and then, and then he says it and I'm like, yes, Kevin Arnovitz agrees. You'll find that sometimes I'm afraid to express my opinion until someone smarter than me agrees with me. And maybe that means that I'm wrong or didn't actually wasn't brave enough to have the opinion. I don't know, but it just, you think about it a little bit. And the thing for me is that Denny Avdia is going to be good like this dude is I I hate to I don't know what his ceiling is I don't know what his floor is I, I don't know I hate to kind of do that when you don't have a really good comparison and I haven't watched him play a lot so it's hard to say but I don't understand how he was picked ninth and when you watch Pat Williams play for the Bulls and then you watch Danny Avdia play for the Wizards you're like oh my god the Bulls made a mistake oh they made a mistake The Bulls should have taken Denny Avdia fourth, not Pat Williams. And maybe long-term Pat Williams ends up being better. But, man, it's just the way that stroke is gorgeous. The passing and court awareness is gorgeous. He's big. He's still fast. He can finish. Denny Avdia. If Obi Toppin's not the rookie of the year, Denny Avdia will be. One thing I thought that was interesting, don't really want to talk about this a lot, the Pistons it seems like they're going to play Josh Jackson like a lot. I think that's interesting. Like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust that dude after what I've seen, but it does seem to me like it seems like he got his head on straight in Memphis when he got sent down to the G League cuz it's like, "Oh dude, your career is almost over." So, you might want to fix that. But like the guy didn't put forth his best effort in Phoenix, and that's frustrating. It's truly frustrating to see a guy who just didn't really care here. And now he's trying. And I'm not saying he's ever going to be what anyone... You know, when he was coming out, there were comps to like Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> he's obviously never going to be that. But he's still like 23. You know, the Pistons don't have wings. Why not give it a shot? It's interesting. I'm just surprised how much the Pistons seem to... Like, Josh Jackson's going to be in that rotation. I'm just surprised at that. And I guess, hey, take all the lottery tickets you can. You're not winning. but. That dude, and I do think, I think there's an element of it's his hometown team, so you know, maybe he's going to try harder. I think he's probably trying harder now. He didn't try at all in Phoenix. He just thought, you know, I'll do whatever the hell I want. Didn't even show up to, you know, practices or whatever. He skipped the one fan event to go to a dinner with his friends. Like, he just didn't give a shit. And getting down to the G League seems to have helped him understand where he is. But I'm just surprised. And I gotta be honest, I don't think it's going to go that well, but if you're not aiming to win games, I guess playing Josh Jackson a lot is smart. One thing I will say, I have been hard on Anthony Edwards. Didn't, you know, I kind of had meh feelings about him in college. Wasn't a huge fan of the number one overall hype. Last night, he put it on display. Last night, he really put it on display. He showed it all. He played great man-to-man defense on multiple possessions where he just took the shot away. And there was just there was nowhere to go. He flew up for one rebound where it was like just like a dude jumping out of trees. It was pretty incredible to see that supreme athleticism on display. He got to the rack multiple times whenever he wants to. And then my god. This guy can shoot like That stroke is gorgeous. And he was bagging triples. He backed triples from the corner. He hit one above the arc. He hit one on the wing. Like he was putting it on display. And this is kind of what Gavoni and Schmitz talked about was Schmitz talked about when you see the game, when you see the game where he's on that night and he's just like tearing it up, it's hard not to know, like, oh my God, this this kid has it but it's the effort and that's where i always was and that's the where the wiggins comparisons have come from right because we all knew that wiggins was hyper talented but it kind of looked like in college that he was just like going through the motions at times even though he still averaged like 20 points it just felt like he was going through the motions and then he comes into the pros and feels like he's going through the motions and it's like yeah this is a 20 year old 21 year old kid averaging 23 points like come on guys but then he never grows he never gets better and he never changes and that is not Anthony Edwards. It is a lazy comparison. The one thing that Wiggins has in common with Edwards, they both are phenomenal athletes. Yes. But the one true thing that they have in common is inconsistency, because I think Edwards is a better athlete than Wiggins. I mean, maybe it's close. Edwards is amazing, but it's that inconsistency, the, the motor, the try hard, whatever you want to call it. That's what they have in common. But in terms of like their game, Dude, it's nowhere near the same. It's nowhere near the same. Anthony Edwards is waiting on the perimeter for a spot to attack. He's moving. He'll move off screens a little bit. He'll rotate. But he's looking for his spot. When he grabs the ball, he's either shooting or he's flying at the rim. Andrew Wiggins is dribbling around, getting to the mid-range, getting to his spot, then like trying to fire a fadeaway. Like a long two. And it's just different. Anthony Edwards... Is constantly looking for his spot to again shoot or attack. He is moving around with the intent that when that ball hits his hands, he's going to fucking score. And I get it. The problem is that you can't play that way one in every four games. And we know how difficult it is to like develop motor. Can that even be done? Can you turn a guy into a hard worker? The Suns have been trying to do it with DeAndre Ayton for like three years now. So like, can you make a guy like work like Russell Westbrook or like Chris Paul or like LeBron James? I don't know. Especially when you don't have one of those guys around. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But... What Anthony Edwards did last night in the first half. There are just so few guys, especially his age, who can even do it. He really put it on display. And I think he's seen people talking about him and knew that he had to put it on display. So I think that with Anthony Edwards, we're going to see inconsistency. But if he can ever bring that on a regular basis, then the Timberwolves made the right choice. And by the way... Fuck, cat and fuck Delo Like, if if Anthony Edwards brings it on a regular basis, then you tell those two this is the guy because this dude is simply if this dude played to his potential, he's a better player than Carl Anthony Towns could ever be. That's I'm sorry, but Carl Anthony Towns' defensive issues are just real, and as good as he is on offense, you know he just doesn't have the killer instinct. Anthony Edwards, if he played to his capabilities. I've been hard on this kid. And last night is the first time I really, really saw it. And someone needs to get in his head. This is a guy who should have been mentored by Kobe. This is a guy who needs that killer instinct. And this is a guy who would benefit from being mentored by Michael Jordan. So it's too bad that, you know, that can't happen. But maybe Kevin Garnett. Maybe they can heal the, the Timberwolves wounds there because they had been healed and then Glenn Taylor fucked it up again. Maybe they can heal it again because they need to get, they need to get the killer instinct in that kid. They need to get the murderer mindset in that kid because if Anthony Edwards had the the murderer mindset, it's game changer. And by the way, I've been sitting here talking about it different times how Minnesota had a sneaky package for James Harden because they, they have the salaries to fit and uh, you know they've got the number one overall pick in, in Edwards. I'm not sure I'm comfortable doing that anymore. If I'm if I'm Minnesota, it's not that Harden isn't better. Obviously he is, but Harden's leaving Minnesota in two years unless you somehow win a championship. Like he doesn't want to be there. Minnesota is not one of his places to be. He likes the warmer weather climates. Uh, well, I guess he wanted to play in Brooklyn. I, I guess you could. I guess there are arguments to be made. But the point is, that's not like one of his preferred destinations. And he's leaving after two years. But when you watch Anthony Edwards play to his supreme, true talent, dude, I want that guy for 15 more than I want James Harden for two. And that reduces a suitor, and that brings me back to the Warriors. And I see a lot of people talking about the Ben Simmons, and maybe it'll happen, and there's this package, and there's that. And I just, I go through it in my head over and over, and I keep coming back to... I mean, yes, Brooklyn makes some sense, but the package isn't good. Philly makes some sense. I still don't think they're going to move quick enough for the Rockets. Miami makes sense, but I don't, I don't see how Harden fits into their culture. Like the body fat thing, Harden wants to control the day. I just don't see it. I think the Warriors are the one. I just really think it's the one that makes the most sense. Everyone does this, so I'm not inventing this, but I'm just going to do my picks real quick. I want to get them down. MVP, I think that is going to be Luka this year. Um, Kevin Durant's changing teams. LeBron and AD just won a title. They're going to take some points from each other. You know, we don't know what to expect from the Warriors. I really think that everything is set up for Luka to get his first MVP. It's really unlikely. That uh Giannis is gonna win three in a row. It just really doesn't happen these days. Um, and I really think it's Luca. I just I think everything is set up for Luka Doncic to win MVP this year. I do think he will. Rookie of the year. I think it's gonna be Obi Toppin. Um, I've said that already. I'm sticking to it. The Knicks are gonna be bad. He's gonna score a ton of points. After watching Anthony Edwards last night, I maybe not. Like if Anthony Edwards plays like he can, then he's gonna be so good that that the stole the store the The show will just be stolen. But um, given those consistency issues, and, you know, he still has, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, Obi Toppin's going to get to be maybe the feature of the Knicks offense. So I really, I'm still sticking with that. Most improved player. I'm picking Mikhail Bridges, but I understand it. And I love why everyone is saying DeAndre Ayton. I think that's great. I think he's got a great chance to win. I just feel like. No one really realizes how good Mikael Bridges is, and he's going to put it on display this year. Coach of the year, I think, is Monty Williams. I don't really think there's any other on obvious candidates. I think everyone kind of has Monty Williams at the front of the list just because of what it, the potential for the Suns is to suddenly be good. Um, Ty Lue could maybe win it if the Clippers like blow out the regular season, and you know because the Lakers are maybe not trying as hard in the regular season, and the Clippers get the number one seed and. You know, say the Clippers won 55 games and went 55 and 17 or something. You know what I'm saying? Um, I could see that scenario. I could also see Steven Silas. If the Rockets stay afloat after the Harden trade and Wall, you know, really looks good and, you know, Christian Wood continues to put numbers up, I can see Steven Silas as well. But this is really Monty Williams' race to lose. And to be fair, traditionally Coach of the Year isn't great because, like, (laughs) a lot of guys get fired after they win it, so I'm not... If he doesn't win it, I'll be fine. Um, I guess Stan Van Gundy is another dark horse. Um, You know, just if the Pelicans, if they made the playoffs, uh, you know, given where they had been with Alvin Gentry the last few years, I think that's a possibility too. I suppose Steve Kerr um, in a scenario where the Warriors bounce back. But I really think Monty Williams is at the forefront of everyone's mind. And I think he's got a great opportunity. And then Defensive Player of the Year, I know it's ridiculous again. But I really think it's going to be Rudy Gobert. He's in a contract year. So far, it hasn't. They haven't extended him. If things really continue to go on and he doesn't have a contract, I can see Rudy playing his ass off on defense and just putting up some ridiculous monster blocks to try to earn that money. Um, we all know that Joel Embiid is right there too. You know, with the Sixers trying really hard. You know, they're all in right now, and they're all in on Ben and Joel. Um, if Joel really hunkers down and focuses on defense, I can see him really bringing it, to. It's interesting how Defensive Player of the Year is one of the wars that is really swung back towards big men. Um, you know, Kawhi's not going to play enough, you know, to be in consideration. Um, I suppose that Draymond, if, if Draymond bounces back, he's another kind of dark horse candidate. But, you know, just it's Rudy in a contract year. So I'm just I'm going to take Gobert. And that, my friends, is yet another episode of The Blood Doctor Show. This has been an awesome first week. I cannot wait to continue. I will probably not record this weekend, but barring, you know, if James Harden gets traded, I'm hopping on the mic. Anytime that, you know, something really truly worthy of talking about happens, I'm going to hop on the mic. So again, there could be scenarios that, you know, special episodes pop up. But for me, no matter what, sticking to five days a week We'll see what else we can add to that in terms of special episodes or whatever is necessary. But at the very least, I will hit you up Monday. Also, for those of you watching on Instagram, my friend Christy Gilmore and I are working on potentially putting up an IG Live show. So keep an eye out for that as well. See Gilmore34 on Twitter. My homegirl. In any case, this has been the Blood Doctor Show. This has been a successful episode of Taking People to Task. (laughs) Enjoy your weekend, enjoy your Friday evening, let's go.